0: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host
2: it's part two of hump day with Swanee and friends look it's trade talk everywhere and we could we could banter and fill in shit but we already do that anyway yeah we do for part one so we thought We'll get an expert in who's not mm. going to talk about trades. No. But just Damn. talk about team management, things like that. Uh, so a guy I've known for a while in Ben Darwin. Hello, Ben. Morning. Now, Hello. so so amazingly, you've got some similarities with Dane. Now, now, have you heard of Ben Darwin, Dane?
3: Through you, Ralph.
2: Right, that's <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ben, uh, you, you were a Wallaby. Yep. How many games did you play? I played
1: 28 for Australia and then I played at the Brumbies as well, which was my kind of franchise so yeah. you split your time in in rugby between your country, half the time, and your, um, and your franchise.
2: So, And you've lived in Melbourne for what, 15 years? Yeah, since 2010. Yep. Yeah, and coincidentally next door to me for a bit. I'm sorry yeah. about that. It was yeah. a dark time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. A lot of calling the police. Well, yeah. well, I've since worked out we are both doing something similar, that we, we had forced career changes yep. <laughs> and, and had to, uh, uh, in my case it was with racing and, and trying to learn about the analytics there, and you you... Two as well. You you started your journey about uh, about analytics with with all sports, but starting with rugby. Yeah, and, and so the the background was I had an injury. No, 0- no, 0- stop 3. there. Okay, no, so okay. Oh, okay, just keep park that for a sec. All right. <laughs> where do you want me to start then? Okay, so so this is where you've got a real similarity of Dane. Yep. You both got injured in your last game,
3: right? Yes. What dane, generally happens when you yeah, get a yeah. when you get a career ending injury <laughs> yeah in, in, a, in a game you, you don't play another one You're but awesome. here's the thing
2: dane had a life threatening his words linds frank injury no one in the history of sport other than dane's had a life threatening foot injury yours not quite as serious how what was yours so i was in a scrum in the world cup semi final against the
1: all blacks and when you have a scrum you sort of push in against other, each other and you've got about 800 kilos sort of going through your spine as when you play prop And I hit the scrum just slightly in the wrong way and I felt the top two vertebrae of my neck dislocate. And so in the scrum, I lost all feeling below my chin and I looked at the guy who was up against me and he kind of, he saw the look in my eye and I said, my neck, my neck. I fell to the ground. If I look at the footage, it just looks like I've been shot because I basically was, you go into what's called spinal shock. So I was on the ground. That player then stood over me to protect me, the the opposition player, because he could feel my body had sort of gone limp. And I looked at my arms and legs and, like, well, they can't be mine because I can't feel them. So the physio comes on, he said, "Oh, what's wrong? I said, well, I can't feel my arms and legs. And he goes, okay. And then, weirdly, when, you, when you're when you playing, you're trying to solve problems. So the immediate problem was, okay, well, I'm now retired. I'm probably a quadriplegic. What am I going to do? I really like computers. I should get into computers. <laughs> like, I was trying, on the field, I was trying to solve the problem. It was weird. And then, but then, then I sort of came off and they put me in a neck brace and then I was yeah. done and then... So that was the end of my playing. But it, it's actually much easier getting injured because you're never told you're not wanted. Mm. Like you kind of... You, the year after you're injured, <coughs> career ending injury, is the easiest year of your life because everyone tells you how good you would have been and you can't disagree with them. Whereas actually, it's not actually reality. The reality oh. is... Oops, sorry. Um, you know, that you... You know, you get told in a meeting at one stage as a player when you're like 35, sorry, you're not going to be contracted anymore. That's much harder. Yep. Your potential when you get injured... Is much greater than ever could have been, but you can always live to that, you know. So that was actually good and bad in that I was 27, and when you play prop, you can sort of play to your 35. So i missed out on a lot of that going forward. But it's easier from a physical perspective. I don't have the injuries that would have come with that.
2: So we haven't got you to talk about rugby, and you you given that how long you've lived in Melbourne. Now you know that, that it's just not, nothing. That we're right across, but but to, honour amongst thieves in the in the in the. Uh, in the scrum, Does that, is that r- how it sort of works, given you, you're big guys, you're trying to hurt each other, but when something get bad goes wrong, it's everyone goes, and, hang on, we've got to look after this guy?
1: Yeah, front rowers are generally pretty masochistic type of people and <laughs> like, there's no attention, there's no public attention, you don't score the tries. It's yeah. like defenders in football, if that no. makes sense. And So <laughs> we, we're very much, uh, you look after one another and you have more in common in retirement with the other front rowers than you do with your own teammates a lot of the time.
3: Right. How long did it take you to come back with your feeling with your arms and stuff like that? It
1: took I – was, I was in Stadium Australia. It, <laughs> I couldn't rea- – I was – it's when the pain started in my neck. That was about half an hour.
3: Was that a pleasing thing? You did realise that you
1: – Yeah, having function again was yeah. pretty reasonable. Um, I had this sort of buzzing all through my body. Um it's because so of the nature of the injury, when I got to the hospital, the, the nursing staff were arguing over who was getting my shorts, who was getting my jersey. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, can we just focus on the injury for a second? <laughs> so the doctor, the doctor came in that night and he said, well, these things, he was very matter-of-fact about it, <clears throat> these things generally go one of three ways. One, you get killed on the field, because a guy has been killed in this injury in a World Cup previously, unfortunately in 1995. Wow. Two, you're going to be a quadriplegic the rest of your life and a high quadriplegic. So it's like it's not it's not a simple life from there down, you know. Yep. And, or three, you're going to walk out of here. You're going to walk out of here next next week. So I was just in a neck brace, was on endone morphine for like months and a neck brace for a couple of months. But other than that, no problems.
2: And, and, and so, so you're functioning now, no problems obviously, but you, you, you your instant retirement, when did the juices start kicking in saying actually I do want to do something? <laughs> um, it...
1: it, it I always liken it to when you're it's, – it's, I don't know if you guys ski, but when, you, when, you, when you're skiing, you lose a ski, right? But you stay upright. So for the first year, you're kind of upright, and but at some point you've got to crash. And it took me about a year to crash to kind of hit the real problems that came with retirement because, you know, what am I going to do? I miss my friends. I'm not part of being on the bus anymore. You know, that's a, mm. it's a completely different lifestyle. I then got into coaching, which is kind of I kept on the bus, so I stayed as a child for the next ten years because it's still a pretty you know, silly environment. And so I, I stayed in coaching till 2013, 2014, so yep. I didn't sort of have to become an adult for a <coughs> bit while longer. <laughs> did
2: you queue did you to get the doll at any stage no, well, but, 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 but,
1: but oh, we all, we. Exploring my options right <laughs> <laughs> I, I've met a lot of guys who really struggled with it. Yeah. And, and one of the things mm-hmm. I talk to people about with fame is that when you be, when you become an 18 year old or a 19 year old that gets the attention, the limelight, right? The limelight passes onto you, but if it's passing onto you, it's taken away from someone else. Right. So why should you begrudge it leaving you? Yes. Why should be, you be upset? Because i met guys who said, you know, as uh, a guy I know in rugby league, said, so i, I People don't recognise me on the street anymore. Like, I can't understand that. I'm like, why would you... They're the repetitive conversations you don't want to have. That's not the fun part. The fun part is, you know, being with your friends and, you know, earning good money and all that sort of stuff. So I I kind of felt very um, <clears throat> very lucky in many ways that I didn't have the attention, the guys like George Gregan, who our captain was, <coughs> and those kind of senior guys who had the ridiculous amount of attention, that never leaves them. I was kind of just in and out for a bit. Yep. Got, the, got the sort of fun of it all, but didn't have to deal with the... Ridiculous attention that guys get.
2: So, so we're, we're as I said, we, we live next door to each other, and just as neighbours do. But then, five six years later, we we, uh, we just lose contact, as you do. I'm reading the Financial Review, Darwin's Law to success or team. Uh, that that's that became the first time I started reading about you again. What have you done? Because. The, uh, now you're knee deep in all types of teams And the amount of shit that gets spoken That we normally take the piss out of here um, it, it's, it's resonating with me what you're doing So when I played I was always confused by
1: was rugby in Australia successful? It didn't make sense to me We only had two or three professional teams And yet we won World Cups against countries Who have like a million players And 40 or 50 professional clubs That did not make sense How you can have a small group doing well I was also sort of confused by some of the guys who I met who were regarded as amazing coaches weren't. Right. And I also had other guys who were really good coaches that weren't having success. So I was like, okay, well, coaching doesn't seem to always be the thing that makes teams successful. I also um, uh, went and coached myself, and i go to one team, win everything, go to another team, lose everything, and I'm like, I can't control this scenario as much as I'd like to. I'd like to think I could be a super coach but i'm not getting what i want out of it and then later on i then i then started doing data analytics and nothing in data analytics was actually telling me why does this team win and this other team win like yes you have the the match data like inside 50s or pass accuracy but that doesn't actually say why certain teams are successful over the long term it's just another version of the score and the more you move towards correlation the further you move from causation i hope that makes sense
2: Just just dumb it down a bit (laughs) just for for our
1: The the, 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 When when people are trying to find a number that tells them who's going to win the game, they'll generally get pretty close to the team that hits the ball between the sticks the most, right? Right. Thank you. But that does not (laughs) actually tell you why that team wins, right? So Inside 50s is pretty close to the ball that hits, the, you know, between the sticks the most. So I sort of went away from that. and, And when I was at the Melbourne Rebels, when we first started up, we we spent a lot of money to win and we didn't Yeah, mm-hmm. on a lot of talent and it wasn't working.
3: Danny Cipriani, did you look Danny after Cipriani? him? yeah, I was with
1: Danny, yeah. Um,
3: <laughs> How was he to look after?
1: Um, it, you remember when I said that, that, like, when you're playing, you're kind of like a child? Mm. Well, if I was 12, he was 6. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> but he could play. No, mm. like He's the most talented footballer I've ever seen in my life, but that doesn't necessarily equate to the rest of the stuff. Um, and, and... One of the questions I got asked the Rebel is, how long is it going to take for us to win? So I started to look at that. as like, does experience help? Does playing together help? Does, you know, spending money help? What does, what does it take? So I've really been working on that project now for, that was 2010, so now 13 years. But when I stopped, pl- stopped coaching, I started doing more and more data analytics and I kind of started my business. And when I actually started this business in 2013... I actually built this data set to sell to French and Japanese rugby clubs on who is available around the world. So if you took took everyone in the AFL and you put a list of who's off contract, I'm doing that across 12 or 15 different professional competitions and people are saying, I want to buy this player. And I say, well, here's a list. But what we started to notice was if a club – if I give you an example, we we were talking to this club and they were going bankrupt – and the coaching team was saying to us, we want to buy 10 players, help us to buy these 10 players. And we said, no problems, here's the list. And they said, oh, there's a problem. The owners decided to sell the club. There's a freeze on all contracting. And they said, oh, this is going to be really bad because we're going to have to coach the guys we don't want. Right? We coached the guys we, did, we wanted to get rid of. The, that year they came second last. The next year they made the semi-finals with the players they didn't want. And they were completely confused by it. We were like, that doesn't make sense at all. And then opposed to that, we would find these clubs where they would acquire massive amounts of talent and import that talent. And that talent would not perform to the same standard that it did at the other place. And so I was equally confused by that because everyone says, you know, you use Moneyball and you go and see that guy and he should perform the same for you. So we looked at this idea called portability of talent. And there's this whole industry around this, but not in sport. It's mostly in military and HR. And so we went off and researched all of that. And we sucked up all the information we could. And we came in. We found this term in football I use called the Bayern Munich Mirage. And the Bayern Munich Mirage is if you take a player from a great team and you bring him into a poor team, he'll never be the same again. Yep. So a lot of the research we found was, you know, do players perform the same at one club as they do at another? And the average we found in EPL, for example, is it takes three years for a player to hit their peak... When they change clubs But there were some components to that One is What position do they play So we found strikers Can change clubs much more easily But midfielders Find it much harder
2: So on that point Yeah Because I'll, I'll keep Throwing in some footy analogies for, for our people Richmond recruit Tom Lynch That's the equivalent isn't it So he's at the end of the, the chain And yep. they win two premierships he's, he's just that tick of the box uh, You guys got uh, um, Lee Brown Yeah And <coughs> Someone at the fringe, not they, they didn't have to. Be, and Luke Ball, were they Darren too? Jolly, Darren, sorry, Darren Jolly. Yeah, so none of those were, or none of those were considered in your your best core, were they?
3: Uh, well, we needed a ruckman.
2: Yeah, but to yeah. do the job for you for yeah, you guys yeah. at the midfields. Yeah,
1: so it, d- it depends on each each sport's going to be different. Yep, but the, the components of that are quite similar. Some positions are much more interactive, require much more understanding, and other sports require less. Yeah, if they're just just go in and do do that job really really well. The second part we found is that the club you went to, the more stable the club you went to, the better it was run, the easier it was to be absorbed into that environment. If you go into chaos and no one, it's like going to McDonald's, but it's like, I don't know what's on the menu. You know, it's like, so if you go to McDonald's, everyone knows what they're doing. You go to a normal restaurant, no one knows what they're doing. So if there's, if there's a lot of stability in the club, you can be absorbed into that environment because they say, you just go over here, you just do this. We don't expect you to run the show for us. The other thing that we started to find was the more experienced guys were, the more they had to learn and unlearn when they went to another club. Right. Because unlearning something is actually much harder than learning something. Because you take a kid who's 18, so this is how I want you to handball the way, this is the Collingwood way, that's easy. But if you take someone who's been in Melbourne for 17 years who's done it way A and you say you've got to do way B, what they do is they keep reverting back accidentally to what they want to do. Yeah. So what we started to do is we said, okay, can we measure any of this? And so we found ways to measure it, and we came up with this idea, first of all, called Teamwork Index, which is basically, is this club a buyer or a build? Now, the thing to understand with AFL is the AFL is the most highest TWI league in, on the planet by a long margin. In any sport? In any sport. So TWI? TWI, Teamwork Index, fundamentally, are you a buyer or a build? So basically every club in the AFL is a build comparative to, say, English football. English football, you might gut your entire starting 11 in a year and then go with an entirely new team or 10 of the 11.
2: And that'd be the case in the NBA too, for instance, LeBron James. The The, The,
1: the AFL, maybe you might gut 5% or 10% of a team each year. Because the AFL has now built it that clubs cannot destroy
2: themselves through trading. Right. Right, as we might call it. Some clubs would try if they were given the opportunity. So it's trade talk now. (coughs) Geelong have failed. To win the trade for the last fifteen years, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they've yeah. failed to win. But t- you don't want to be doing that, correct?
1: Yeah, and and so there's there's all these components about you know do you bring in top end talent, low end talent, but where we started really measuring teams was who is taking the field on the day, what position are they playing, how much have they played that position, how much have they played that position next to the guy next to them, because that builds understanding. And so we've just been spending a lot of time interviewing coaches, interviewing players about those components. Now, what's really interesting is when I was at the Brumbies, the team won and everyone would say, why did the Brumbies win? And they're like, well, you've just got an amazing culture. And I'm like, I don't know. These are some of the worst behaved human beings I've ever been <laughs> involved in. It doesn't make sense to me. Yes. And yet they were winning. And then, and then other teams had a great culture and weren't winning anything. And one of the teams I like this too is is if I look at the TWI of, say, West Coast Eagles in 06, unbelievable. Numbers were just oh. off the Did charts.
2: Did they have good culture, West Coast 06? Well, uh, you know. They had good fun.
0: <laughs> they had a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. You know, one,
1: one yeah. passed away, three are in jail yep. at certain
2: stages, ten, I think arrested at some point in their career. And so. So why would they buck mm-hmm. the trend of, uh, of the of, uh, quotation marks? that You need to have good culture.
1: Because, because what happens is when teams win, they say they have it. and when teams don't, they say they don't.
3: So was that just uh, they had good players or was it work hard, play hard sort of thing?
1: There's no correlation in any of that stuff. You work hard, play hard. You could be the best bunch of people, worst bunch of people. The the real question is how much have you played together? How long have you played together? That's the stuff that makes a difference, and I'm not saying that's the answer, but we've never found in the history of professional sport a low-cohesion team win a high-cohesion comp.
2: So, so let, let's start. So, dig the West Coast. It's exactly the same. The um 2010 Premiership side. In that, the, the main core, Judd, Kerr, Cousins, Cox, different personalities, but they had that. They played together a lot. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and I actually, I actually interviewed because I I just like to interview players and coaches on their experiences. So I interviewed Chris Judd and said, "What was it like?" He said. Everybody knew their role on the field. It was unbelievable. It was like a machine. You know, when, it, when, it's, when it's flowing, yeah. everyone – and, you know, he said, you know, I would – and I, I don't know the terms, but let, let me give you <coughs> an example. He'd say, I would pick up the ball and I knew that Chris Judd would like the ball on his left hand so I could hit him on a strong lead, right? You talk about Cameron Smith talking about Billy Slater. He would say, when I step off my left foot and I cock my left elbow, they knew I was hitting him on an unders line. Because that's the line they need to run. Given when we we attract the second defender, right? So all those little nuances of understanding you have with somebody else, you don't think about it, but it makes such a massive <coughs> difference collectively. Would that be your? Yeah, experience? absolutely.
3: Yeah, as people say, when I played so much with Pendlebury, it was like, why well, didn't we didn't have to talk? Well, I'd get it. He knew exactly how I like to get out of a stoppage, so he'd be there before I was even ready because I knew, he knew I, that's what I like to do or how I like to kick the ball. So he'd. Prepared, and I knew how he liked to step out of a stoppage, so I'd wait for him, and then I'd get out, so you'd, yeah, the more you play together, and also, another thing was like my good mates, like we all knew how each other played, so I'd, they'd be there when I was ready to give it, they knew how I liked to kick the ball, um, yeah, so just the more you play with each other, it would just become second age, you wouldn't even have to speak, you'd just be like, bang, <coughs> Scott's there, or John. I knew John. I was going to be, if I was in trouble, I could always turn around John I would be screaming off half back waiting for me, did be a little short up, hit up, tazzed around on the fat side. So yeah,
1: definitely. So so we would find then when you had teams who had not played together and you had experienced guys who would come together, we would have a lot of we would call passing the ghosts. So you'd pass it to somebody and it's like, oh no, he's not there anymore. It's the other guy. Or somebody you'd do this and you're like, does that mean go long or does that mean come towards you? Because you, you build up this language and you, it's like I know with my wife, when the eyebrow goes up, I'm, I'm in, I'm in <laughs> deep trouble, right? But, but that's taken time to build that with her. Yes. So we get this thing we call false signalling, which is somebody's giving you a signal, but it means something else to someone else somewhere else. Yes. Or, or somebody will come to your team and they'll do everything exactly right. But it was right at Melbourne. It's no longer right at Collingwood. And so it's like that's – which is now the wrong thing to do but it was the right thing somewhere else. So all of this is measurable. And then when you, when you can measure it, you can then, it's then quite predictive as to what's going to play out. The interesting thing for us is it's actually not about the senior guys, how much the senior guys have been together, although that helps. It's the evenness of a team. It's getting the kids where they don't have a catastrophic lack of understanding with everyone else. And so when you get an evenness to a team, you can have some continuity to the group. It's like it's, – it's what is basically the data reveals is you're only as strong as your weakest link. Yep. And so where you have misunderstanding is where things can fall apart. Now, when, you ca- when you're playing uh, – I'm going to cast aspersions here, but let's say you're playing a very poorly put-together side, Adelaide, right now. Yep. You can't tell if you're badly built against Adelaide, but you can, you can tell when you play against Geelong because all the little misunderstandings didn't matter against them, but they do matter. We particularly find that in finals – it's like the thing that was a small gap here becomes a massive gap uh, later on yep. you know, against, under, under pressure because it just tears. The other thing is that over a season, teams will build in understanding. So you'll have a medium cohesion team in round one that might lose to a really well-built team. So we find this. So Melbourne Storm have not lost round one in 22 years mm. because they're so well-built. <laughs> but, but, but that doesn't mean they'll win every year because other teams will catch up to them. Yep. So over a season teams will catch up and that's why having finals kind of makes the whole thing a bit random. You know, you get events like Western Bulldogs in oh, 15, 16, season, yeah. 16 yeah. because they get a couple of finals, they come up against a couple of teams that might have mm-hmm. a couple of injuries and they can jag it, right? And it's also hard to repeat yourself. I mean, if the EPL is the first team is the winning team, it doesn't work like that in the AFL. You have finals and and you know, if you don't if you have a couple of players out. Now what that also does is Creates a little bit of ambiguity in terms of people and decisions that get made, you know. Like if you have a couple of injuries and you, your number, you're the first team and you're the, you're the best team in the copy. You have a couple of injuries. You play a first final. You lose that final. You know, get more injuries in that game because because injuries are the same as selection mistakes. If you don't have everyone on the field, you can't perform. To your Which best was the demons this year? Yeah, and so then people on board start to make silly decisions. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think about Richmond in '82. You know, I think it was Hayfe. I can't remember. I'm going to get my names wrong here, but like yeah. they, they missed the finals by a kick. They sacked the coach, even though they'd made the grand final the year before. Tony Jewell was it? Yeah, they right? go, they go. So Tony Jewell, and they go, okay, we're going to be install the captain as the coach. <laughs> he imports half of Collingwood. Ten years later, there it's completely fallen apart. And the way I describe it is like cohesion's like a house. You can build it really, really slowly, but you can tear it down in 20 minutes if you really want to put the effort in. And the problem is, it's going to take another 10 years to build it back up again. So you don't want to make silly decisions. And some clubs are just a permanent chaos of underperformance. You know, we don't have any good players. We've got to go get good players. They go get those players. Those players don't perform to the same standard or they try to tell everyone else how to play. So they go, OK, well, they were the wrong players, but we're going to go get new players. Now, the problem is now all our kids have left because they've been frustrated by being overlooked by bringing somebody else in and it's like, we don't have those kids anymore, so we don't have any good place, so we're to go buy a new new so more place. So that's North Melbourne. Or oh, Essen, yeah. So it's just this, we call it cycling. And and like Richmond did that from 82 to 15. Like that was 30 years of the same story. We've missed the finals. Because we've missed the finals, we're going to go bring in talent to make the finals. Oh, well, look, we've missed the finals again.
2: <laughs> around and around we go. So, Brenton Sanderson, um, who I'm really enjoying his work on uh, SEN on Saturday, I take the piss out of stats a lot, but he came up with the stat. Which, oh, fuck me, that's right. Geelong haven't sacked a coach since the mid-'80s, John Devine. Yep. So they're the, they're the epitome of stability. So even though they won a premiership with recruits, like uh, obviously Jeremy Cameron was their highest profile, the core is obviously Selwood and Hawkins. A lot of the narrative, because he obviously he's a fantastic bloke and a great captain, Joel Selwood, but a lot of the narrative will be around what great culture it is. You're saying it's a tiny bit bullshit because it's actually more about the fact that they actually just play well together.
1: I've never seen any evidence that any of that stuff is true. Culture?
2: Yeah. Right. Anywhere.
1: <laughs> like, like, we look a lot at military. Yeah. Some really evil military win battles, <laughs> right? Yeah. With terrible culture or much more effective than other. And, and it fundamentally comes down to what's the level of understanding
2: between the participants of that team. So I say, if Sydney wins, what would we have heard for three days? Blood's culture. Well, the f- How did the floods the f- culture go? <laughs> the, fu- the, funny, the funny thing
1: was that term, no dickheads, was kind of not really yeah. sa- It wasn't even really said as a, this is our policy, but then everyone kind of snaps it up. It's like, oh, well, that's the thing. Because what's interesting is inside of sport, uh, have you guys ever seen the movie Invictus? So the, the it's about the it's about the Springboks in nineteen ninety four. Matt Damon pl- is a as a five foot eight person playing a six foot six person. But <laughs> anyway, so he's on the field and he's another and he's, fucking short joke. <laughs> so, sorry, he's he's playing a guy called um, uh, Francois Pinard, Okay, yeah. and he's on the field and he's and he's in every huddle. He's saying, you know, I'm gonna. gonna he's a bad South African accent. Huh. Come on, guys. You know, we need to be inspired by our country. What did Mandela say to us? We need to do this, this, and this. And I'm like. Watching it, going, God, this is terrible. <laughs> there is no way any of that's getting said. What's yes. getting said is, guys, next play on the 21 pattern, make sure we reload on the short yeah. side. That's, yeah. that's what we're going to do. You're not focused on the crowd. You're basi- it's like an accounting meeting, right? You're just focused on the process of what needs to take place in the game. If you're looking for inspiration, you've got to find it somewhere else because everyone's doing their best. One of the things we find really interesting is when t- teams have low cohesion, the things that get said about them is, one, they have no pride in the jersey. or the coach will say I just want players who want to play for the club and even the coaches in a way themselves are kind of misinterpreting what's going on because they're frustrated because they're like looking at this talent they're looking at the outcome and thinking these two things aren't necessarily matching but then what boards will do is we would say about 80 90 percent of coach firings are a misrepresentation of what's actually going on with the team because they just want somebody to blame yep like this team is not winning Therefore, you know the Essendon Press conference, you know, with the the old CEO and the president, it's like yeah. we're a great club. We should be winning with this list, and we're not. So therefore, we're going to go get somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> and there's not they're, not, they're not, they weren't underperforming at all. They overperformed last year. Really, Essendon won two more games than they should have, and they still fired him. By our numbers, I'm not going by yeah. our numbers, yeah. but because we're generally within a couple of a couple of games, and I think we looked at. Um, sorry, who's just taken on North Melbourne? Uh, Clarkson. 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 Yeah. So we looked at Clarkson's career. Okay, so he's like, let's say he coached five hundred games, and then we looked at, let's say he won three fifty. He should have won like three forty seven. Like he didn't win more games than he should have. His numbers right. are just unbelievable. So
2: do you think the super coach <coughs> is a wank, as in the term, the super coach? Well, we we we've never
1: found a coach that can beat those numbers in terms of like is like is functioning at say more than a hundred and two percent or hundred and three percent at best. Yeah. The the biggest underperformer, interestingly, was. Um, Malthouse at Carlton was like eighty-eight percent, so they were underperforming comparative to what they had. But like Ratton at Carlton was really good, and they sacked. They think, still sacked. <laughs>
3: yeah. So I think a coach makes a big difference. Or a, a, co- a coach, a coach. If
1: we take away the list management component, yeah. right, the level of differential between coach A, coach B, coach C at the top level is pretty small. Yeah. What they can do more than anything else is destroy teams like the ability to get a coach to underperform. And they'll do it a couple of ways. One, we found interestingly in the NRL, the more experienced a coach was when they came in, the worse, the more they underperformed in their first year because they would come in and try to change too much. And everyone's like, this isn't how we play. The same happened at Man United under Moyes. Moyes comes in and goes, we're going to play, completely change how we do something or Seabold at the Broncos, change how they defend. And you spend a lot of time adapting to that new process. And some young guys find it easy, older guys find it hard so you underperform and then you either go there's either then a coup the group goes no this is not working or you eventually figure it out
3: is that why craig bellamy has been so good through his tenure because he's been there so long and the kids
2: just come up under him and then they know his process from 100% but he beginning. also has
1: he also interestingly has the worst record as a coach in the history of state of origin <laughs> really? Be- because he's because uh, of the it's way different. new south wales is yeah. built right yeah, so right. so that kind of points to that notion of it's the list management it's the board it's the director of football. If they're not all on the same page, you're going to have these kind of different directions, and and all the time that pressure to win.
0: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
3: This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you
2: So we're never personal here, no. Right. <laughs> but to, oh, I'll bring a couple of things from Dane's career. Collingwood make the grand final under Mick Mulhouse. and that was Mick Mulhouse's last game because there was a succession plan that was forced in, and, and we respect all the people there, we like them all, <laughs> but Nathan Buckley then comes in, and it becomes a quick decline. So I'm, I'm assuming the way you look at things, you would say, well, that's logical, because... You're forced to change the side that's working. I, I think one of the things that
1: takes place, and I'm, I I could go away now and look at the numbers, but a lot of the time when somebody's come in, it's like they want to foot put their footprint on the place.
3: Yeah, he certainly did. Yeah, and, and <laughs> yeah.
1: that's either going to come through a change of po- po- change of players, or it's going to come through a change of play- playing. And so you're either going to get the, you'll get underperformance both ways, if. If the easiest, the, the less damaging way is actually change the way you play because you can then get that snapback. So we had that at the, um, the Brumbies when I left. The year after I left, our coach then went to change the Wallabies. We had a new coach come in. Players were a bit unhappy. They blew up. They went back to how they played. They won the title. Now, if you retain the group, you can. that's fine. But if, if, if when that team doesn't play the way the coach wants us, so he decides to gut the place that damage will then take quite a long time to build back up. So TWI can go up per year, say 5%, but it can come down 40% in a week, right? So if you go down 40% in a week, that's eight years to
2: get back. So when when Dane Dane cracks some funnies about uh, Nathan Buckley sacking his mates, the problem isn't that they were his mates, the problem is that they all knew how each other played.
1: You knew the weaknesses and the strengths, and the problem is when you look outside, you don't know people's weaknesses, so it's right. like, you know, I know these guys, I know everything good and bad about them, so I'm going to go
2: get somebody else who I know,
1: who I don't know much about, but I think is going to be better. And there's a whole bunch of
2: problems with that. So, yeah. so again, uh, with Collingwood being the surprise packet this year, yep. halfway through last year, but, uh, Dane said about Robert Harvey coaching, he said, this is fantastic, they're just letting him play. Yep. So you said about sides improving. So for a ho- half year, they all play with each other. They actually didn't have a lot of list changes this year, did Dacos.
3: Um, yeah, crew so goes about it. It's, so
2: a young kid uh, comes in. Yep. But really there was no big recruits, no <coughs> expectation and all these guys had spent an extra half a year playing together just naturally and then so McS2 there's that, that
1: term we call back-ending which is teams improving as the year goes. Yes. They're not capable they're not capable of winning finals or winning good against good teams at the start but they are by the end. But you know and now now it's I mean probably one of the most interesting examples I found was Brisbane Lions 04 you know, they start to come off, the senior group leaves. But they sort of maintain a development policy. They get to 09 and now Matthews has left and they're like they're back in the finals again. Right? So they've reloaded. Yep. I think they come six, so I'm gonna get this wrong in O nine. And then in an, and then in ten, there's the story went that Voss came down, watched the grand final and the board said, What do you need you say I need six guys, including Favola, right? They get imported, you know. Well, there's a press conference and they say, you know, do you think Brendan's going to be a behaviour who wouldn't be here, you know, if he – you know, he wouldn't be here if his behaviour was going to be a problem, he was in jail by Christmas or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, like, so there was the, this kind of um, uh, fallout. And then one of the things I think that then started to happen is the young players, if they don't kind of feel like this is something they want to be a part of, then they'll start to head off. And Brisbane didn't really recover from that till – at so like 21 tw- you know, yeah. my year's wrong here sorry more like 16, 17 probably and that's not that's not Voss's fault that's not anyone's fault because if you don't understand these sort of concepts you're just like I've just got to bring talent in but it's also a relationship between the board and the coach and the director of football to say what is our policy here So yeah, when Alex Clarkson
2: uses the word alignment that's a real thing Yeah 100%
1: Yeah, yeah. You, you, Cohesion between players is important as people on boards you know, and, and one of the questions I say to people on boards is, why are you on the board? Are you on here because you want to tell your mates you're on a board? Are you on here because you want to be able to leak to the press about the trades you're making? Is it because you want to sponsor a player that can come in that you can give them a third-party agreement and say you're responsible? You know, I, I, I say to sometimes the board members, what if the club won in five years but you were not regarded as the person responsible for it? Would you be happy with that? And I never get an answer, but... but <laughs> yeah. It's really about saying there's things you need to touch and there's things you just need to not be involved in because you've got to leave that to other people. And when you have different agendas about who's responsible and different agendas mm-hmm. about the pressure you want to place and who's going to fix Essendon, when you have ten good people all trying to fix Essendon at the same time, you get chaos. That's your fault. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so another thing that uh, reminded me of what he says that worked for him, was it your two-hour rule? Could you explain your two-hour rule to Ben?
3: I, well, I just thought I had, had one effort in me a week. It was the two hours on game day. So um, that's what I spent all my energy on. I didn't do a great deal on the track during the week. I tried to do it inside and have a sweat in the gym, like on the tready in the heat room and run. That's what I felt like I needed my... Mentally, I was prepared for a game, but I literally thought I had one effort in me a week and that was, that was game day, so I'd spent most of the week conserving my energy. So that you know, was probably a mental thing thinking, fuck, all right, I've got all my energy for the week. I'm just going to use it all in the two hours on game. that's basically what my two-hour rule was.
2: So, and that, and that it, when you hear it, that, what does that say?
1: So? Oh, I mean, it's kind of funny because clubs all have these rules about how they want everyone to behave, right? And then you see a guy like Maradona who'd be smoking darts in the tunnel before <laughs> he played, you know, or, you know, um, you know, we'd play games against the French and they have 40 coffees or something no. on the <laughs> game day. So it's really about what works for a player. I mean, I mean from what I can understand, Ablett wasn't exactly the mm. – heaviest uh, senior wasn't exactly the sort of heaviest trainer it's one of the things i'm really interested in is you know clubs go and spend a lot of money on facilities i remember meeting uh, jimmy bartell and him saying like geelong had the worst facilities when they won the comp three out of five years yes you know there's a lot of times when crusaders in rugby probably some of the worst facilities in 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 rugby
2: in the 90s Arden street legendary was a tip and when Collingwood uh, made the grand final against all odds in 2002, uh, yeah. Yeah. Victoria Sorry Park I'm was it. So, so we build these
1: high-performance centres, right, and we include, like, cryo chambers. And it's like, it's pretty much the same as a garbage bin full of ice, you know. Yeah. Like, that stuff's the 1%, half of 1%. I, I did this presentation at... Um, uh, this place called St George's Park, and it's like a 140 million pound facility for English football. Yep. It's got like an airport, it has a golf course, got 40 fields, has a Death Star that looks like that's like the analysis room, and they lose to Iceland, right? Whose oh. <laughs> coach is a dentist? <laughs> <right>? <laughs> and it's like, and and the English team was worth like 400 million euro, and the and the and the Icelandic team had, um, I think it was worth 50 million, and they had two players who are playing in the in the seniors. What's really interesting about the difference between the two, England had under-13s, 14s, 15s, 16s, 17s, 18s, all the way through to under-23s. So they never played together because okay. if they were of different ages. Iceland had under-16s, under-19s. So they had guys as young as 12 playing in their under-16s and being annihilated, but being annihilated together. Yes. So they went through in a group. So then when Sigurdsson gets to 17, they're like, sorry, mate, you've got to go play for the under-19s now and you are going to get annihilated by Sweden and Norway. But by the time they come into the Euros, they've been together for about twelve years, understanding one another, and that like that gave them a shot against a team of ten times the value. And I'm not saying I'm not saying cohesion's everything, but what it is, it gives Minnows a chance. Yep. But if you have cohesion and skill, you win everything. So when uh, which is Geelong right now?
2: Yeah, Geelong right now. When um, we had Nick Maxwell in uh, Swannie's Premiership captain. Yep. I didn't know this, but it was part of the research. I didn't know that Nick played in a Williamstown Premiership with Dane. That would be part of – you would count that as a game together, wouldn't you? Shared experience doesn't care where it comes from. It can be brothers.
1: Like yeah. <coughs> we, we, we basically count bro- – if two brothers are played together in the backyard, that's 300 games together. <laughs> right, okay. Right. Yeah. Just because you, you can't – you've got to have some sort of default for that. Yeah. So, you know, it's amazing how much they say there's a magic between these brothers. They'll pass the ball and over the shoulder and you know no one they won't know where anyone – they don't even know the guy's there, but he's there, you know. So, uh,
2: Which, uh, at my age, in the, in the 80s, Jimmy and Phil Cracker came across. Right. And it was the most wonderful fucking thing. We couldn't believe they would do mm. all this shit. And, and that's what it is, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. There's no magic to it. It's just yeah. just he knows if, that,
1: that, that he's going to be off his left shoulder because that's what always happens. So, yeah, uh, yeah So, it, it, what's interesting is losing a game together, winning a game together or playing a game at a junior or at school, it doesn't care because it doesn't know the standard. So playing games together statistically does not matter whether they've won, lost, where it is, but when it is is important. So recency is important.
3: So trade. So trade weeks coming up. This, this, anyone know when is it? Next couple of weeks. Yeah. (laughs) But um. So Port Adelaide have said they are going to be. You're from here. They're going to be aggressive and they're going to try and do a heap of training. So would you say be wary of bringing in six or seven blokes in who are going to play in your seniors next year? Maybe give. One or is, is there a perfect number to bring in, or is there like listen six or seven? That's a third of your starting eighteen. That's your occasion is going to be fucked. Maybe bring in some of the young kids who have played trained with you for two years and bring in two, or is it just a suck and see thing?
1: It's it's a it's always going to be you know the the AFL being such a high cohesion comp. It's it's about what you're comparing it to, right? So let's say. Uh, Geelong, um, let's say, an up-and-coming team. Who do you think would be pretty good in two or three years'
3: time? Um, well, the building.
2: Essendon in theory. Carlton. Carlton's probably been yeah, the yeah. best example. If they, yeah.
1: if they hold the nerve. Yeah. 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 So so
2: it's about saying, right, how
1: are we going to beat Carlton in five years' time in a grand final? That's sort of what sort of aiming towards. And harder for them because they're going to have to do it away. So to, wa- to win an away grand final against the Melbourne team, you've actually got to be 20% better than them to win away games.
2: I've got an argument about that, but go on. Okay, so what they did
1: a study in the EPL and what they found was if the crowd was mostly towards one team, the referee was actually more biased.
2: Yes, so my, my argument is I, yep. you, you're an idiot if you think home ground advantage isn't real. Yep. But the AFL grand final in isolation should be in isolation because of the crowd is so neutral. Yes, I've never seen a – so a people look at stats and say, oh, well, you know, Geelong beat Sydney because of the home ground. I fucking no, they were much better than them. So really since
1: – Except for the except for the uh, grand final replay. Mm.
2: Which one was that?
3: Our one. Collingwood. Replay. No, no, no,
1: 2010,
3: they had a replay on the Tuesday. No, we had it the next, the Sorry, next Saturday. Saturday. Next, next yeah, Saturday. Yeah. But they're but both Victorian
1: sides. No, that's true, but, but – all I'm saying is the crowd was more probably Collingwood based because they
3: yeah, there's no, the, there wasn't the, could have no support. It was the tickers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You're You're right. Right. Sorry, because oh, of the corporate. Okay, okay. Yeah, hundred percent. And one, Geelong has have an unfair advantage every year. They get to play. They get to play s- eight games down in Geelong, which no other Melbourne side yes. has a home ground advantage. Absolutely. Yeah. Well they get to finish up with so the so, agree, so, so really their yeah. premiership doesn't count this year. <laughs> no, no,
1: but, but the point, I suppose, the point we made is yeah. to win to win a competition. Yes. you're going to have to go to Melbourne and beat Melbourne teams, and you've yeah, got to be better than them. True. And perhaps in a grand final, it's not as explicit, yeah. perhaps, but um, because of the the way in which the corporates will fill that state. Yeah. but fundamentally, um, what we found is the interstate clubs have to be about ten
3: percent better Then a prelim. Like Melbourne got yeah, yeah. a prelim. Brisbane got they their have to their be about ten
1: percent better to win a, to win the comp. Yeah,
3: in in in
1: uh, in Melbourne, which they will have to do. So, um, sorry, what was the question? So so what? So with Port Adelaide, so yeah,
3: bring is it bring us six or seven? Would you steer someone a steer a club this year? So listen, we're, we're on the Carlton, we're ninth. We're on the precipice We need fucking. We just need three or four players or somebody finished eleventh. We need three or four players to get us to finish sixth this year. Let's go out and let's get five mid players who who are cheap. We can get in. We can fill our role because our bottom five are shit house. Let's just pinch five from different clubs—a ruckman, a forward, a midfielder, back—and let's, let's plug them in, and we'll be, and we'll get up the ladder because these blokes are, are pretty good players. Well, history
1: would tell us that's probably that's not necessarily the best idea that's ever been. Yeah. And one of the problems is, the more you trade, the harder it is to trade again. Yep. So one of the problems is, like when teams top up, so they might call it switches. Like you've got a cohesive team, and then you bring a player in, and that works. They go, okay. We've done that once, let's go do five. Yeah. Then then the problems really start because you've got too many and there's too much difference that's made to the team and you've got too many people underperforming. So
2: Carlton, Carlton and me is the prime example of what you talk about. Because if Carlton don't trade, they're probably a good bet for the for really improving into the
3: deep into the top four next year. Yep. And so you trade for a need, basically. So so listen, we're, we're, we need a we don't have a keyboard, our key forwards have monstered us all year. We don't have any young kids going to, all right, let's just go out and just focus on one key back who can stop the big monster forwards and that's it because he can fill a role. He knows what he has to do. He just has to stand on a big bloke and fucking punch it every time it comes. I think,
1: I think one of the problems that comes with this is they watch the teams who are winning and they say, that's where the game's going. We need to play that way. Yes. And if, if you know, let's say we need a big forward, I don't know the terms, but, you know, we need a big forward now because that's what all the good teams are doing. OK, we'll, we'll do – we had to go and buy that because five years ago we didn't think we needed that, so now we're going to acquire that and bring that in. The problem with that is oftentimes we find club strengths actually come about because of a weakness. Right. If I give you an example, in Australian rugby, we don't have a lot of people playing. Therefore, we don't have many big people. Therefore, we had to give the ball to the backs. Therefore, we became really good at that. Therefore, we became the country known as the team that plays really well in the backs, but that became our strength because of our weakness – so oftentimes you'll have a list and if you actually adapt to what you have and, and, and build upon those strengths and play that way, then you're doing something different and then other people have to follow you. But if you go and say, okay, how are Geelong playing? We need to play that way. Well, our list is not built that way, so don't change it to be them. Why don't you just go and play the way you want to play? I hope that I hope that yeah,
2: I'm yeah, so that's right. sense. So like with Geelong, yeah. for instance. Swanee so all last year was saying, this shit slow ball movement is just bad footy, and it's not going to work. So they, they then get lauded for moving the ball quickly. This is how you should play. I reckon it's a real good idea. If you've got Hawkins and Cameron up forward, maybe it was just the, the, <laughs> the style last year was so terrible. Mm. And this year, just get the ball as quickly as you can to two really good players. Does, doesn't that dump it down into a, something smart? Yeah,
1: it is. But it, it's it, it, people believe that change is easy and change is nowhere yeah. near as easy as it should be. And, and what you shouldn't do is change yourself to follow that kind of... Because... Uh, all you'll end up doing is those guys will come in, they won't be able to perform to the standard they want. How that player is performing at Williamstown or at Carlton or at Hawthorne is not how they're gonna perform for you. And therefore they'll they'll underperform, the kids coming through, they leave, and then it ends up in this cycle. And a lot of this is about what does Kosh want?
2: Right? Yes.
1: <laughs> what does he want? Okay, we gotta win it, guys, we've got to win it next year. Or we need f- you know, I don't know what I don't know what David wants, but uh. Next year we're going to win four more games. If you focus on winning more games, you have a massive problem because if you're focused on wins, you'll take the actions required to get those wins. The wins is an outcome of something else. You can't. You, you, you win, you lose. You really that's really beyond your control. It's actually about saying, let's build something that the wins is an outcome of, of all this. Leading teams. Oh. Right, let's let's not use them. Specifically, well, let's, let's, let's 360
2: degree feedback. The idea that that's a good idea. Um,
1: I've had them before in clubs. Yep. Everyone gives the answer that they think as though they're being heard, yeah. right? There's a CEO who's looking over their shoulder. Right, okay, tick, not tick, whatever, okay. Um, if Let's say you get into a room and you, and you say to each other, I want you to stop doing, start doing, keep doing, okay? Yeah. Queensland State of Origin used to have that. It was called a court session. They just get really, really drunk and tell each other what they think of each other, right? <laughs> so that's also a way to do it. When I when I joined the Brumbies, I was told by the senior players, change or go. That's it. Yep. And I was like, okay, I gotta change here. I had a couple of court sessions. I almost think drinking is the answer. But they just were really honest with me because they're in a position to do so. One of the things I heard quite a bit about Adelaide, the Adelaide camp. Yep is that one of the guys who'd come in recently did not feel as though he could say this is a really, really
2: bad idea. Yes. Because I've
1: just come from another club, I don't want to do the wrong thing. If you've been around Price people... Bryce Gibbs,
3: I reckon, it was. Henry Jenkins was
2: there, Jenkins has been there well, oh, was was
3: lost a while. It was a guy who was like a yeah. first year. He yeah. yeah, yeah. was, was in like the kids.
1: senior group. And and if, if we know each other a lot, long enough, you can be honest with each other. Yeah. Okay, and... They did this study in the NBA I found quite interesting, which is they, they looked at all the teams and they found all the ones who were hugging each other more winning more. So they're like, what if we just make everyone hug each other more <laughs> <too> often, right? <laughs> and, and the problem is they then told, like, Brooklyn Nets to hug each other and, like, this is really awkward. Like, I don't know you very well, <laughs> yes. okay? You, you, get, you build to that over time. What was happening was the teams that had been together were hugging each other because they knew each other because they'd been together such a long period of time. It had nothing to do with performance whatsoever. We found players... Um, Two players at Man United, uh, um, Scholes and uh, Sheringham, yep. had a fallout playing for England, did not speak to each other for four years while playing at Man U <laughs> and won everything. Won and scored a goal, the other guy got the other end. I hate him. I think Sheringham said, I'd rather play with the bloke who... Br- I'd rather, I'd rather have a cup of tea with a bloke who broke my leg <laughs> than with Sherry who I've just tested for the past 15 years. So I played with guys I didn't like, I didn't get on with. Yep. But I knew what they were going to do. That's the most important part. Do Do I know the role you're going to play, where the ball's going to go? I don't like you. I don't want to spend any time with
2: you.
3: But I do my job, you do yours. We get on fine.
2: Yeah. I, when you hear that?
3: Yeah, well, my just leading teams. Same. May I, I knew what... People were going to say about me. It was just up to me to change it, and um, well, I understand some people actually, if some people needed that. Well, that's that's completely fine. But it wasn't for me. Like yeah. I, I knew, and mine was all mine was all about off-field stuff. I was never on-field stuff. So my performance was fine. So I was like, yeah, I know I probably need to look after myself better off on the weekend and stuff like. That. But that's my release. That's what I fucking like to. Do. That's what makes me play the way I play because. Fuck, I'm not footy, footy, footy the whole time. I'd go insane if I had to sit at home and sit and go down the beach on my day off and doing, You know, that's not me. Me having a beer on the weekends or relaxing gets me to do what I do on the weekends. So, so no, I'm not so. Stopping. So,
1: so, if we take Dennis Rodman, right, as part of the. <laughs> Does of he the fit dream the culture? Yeah. right. The story I love about Rodman was when uh, Luke Longley turned up, he's standing under the baskets and, sorry, uh, Longley. Uh, Rodman's standing on the baskets and Luke Longley's doing layups. And and he's like, Why are you just standing there looking at me? And Rodman said, Because I'm because Rodman was an amazing rebounder, right? That was his skill set. And he said, I'm watching to see how many rotations you put onto the ball, because I know if you're going to miss, that it's going to bounce off to the right and I catch it off to the right. So he was focused on the detail. As long as Rodman was focusing on the detail of understanding, then the outcome was fantastic. Even if he went to Vegas and partied for three days, right? Whereas Whereas the other the other parts weren't necessarily important. I'm not saying that's what every player yeah. should be doing, but Rodman with all the the tats and the wearing dresses and all that sort of stuff like that stuff's all that's powerful. noise. Yeah. If if somebody is that way, as you know, I, what I would find is if my teammate was doing his job on the field, I got on with him pretty well. Mm. If he's not doing his job on the field, if he's not running the right lines, I don't care if he and I love the same music, if we love the same cars. He is annoying me to hell. It's like mm. I say that. You know, if Karen in accounts is not paying your bills on time, even if she's a lovely lady, she's really shitting me. Sorry. <laughs> but if Karen's doing it, but she's also, if she's just paying the accounts on time, she's doing a great job. The fact she's a Nazi sympathizer is kind of funny. You know, it's like, it's like, let's put that all to one side. And it's just like, let's focus on building the understanding. And then what happens, you generally get on pretty well anyway. Yes. You know, and it's like, oh, he's funny, that guy. He's always mm. taking the piss, he's out of the piss, whatever. But, you know, come game day, he's on.
2: I reckon two and a half years since, so before their third premiership, might have been before the second. Uh, Richmond, I don't know if you remember, they're, they're about to run out. I reckon Dusty Martin picked up the phone and passed it to Jack Higgins. It's definitely to Jack Higgins. I don't know if it's Dusty, but it said, "Oh, it's for you." And the, the Channel Seven cameras have got it, and everyone's broken up. You know, like, <laughs> and it's funny. Mm. But then everyone goes, "That's why Richmond are good because oh. they're all enjoying each mm. other's company." Yeah, and,
1: and one of the things I heard hearing on the radio was when everything was blowing up about um, the, the Richmond coach and things going on, they were saying, well, that's just reflective of the Richmond culture. They can have all those things go on and still win. It's like you can't have it both ways. Right. Yes. And, and, and there's a great example. In 1999, there's a rugby example, the French beat the All Blacks in a in a boil over in a quarterfinal. And it came out that on the Wednesday they were out drinking together, right? <laughs> Now, because they won, everyone said, Oh, that's so French You know, they got together and they they drank and they they showed how much they loved each other and they're like, What an amazing effort and that's 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 why they won. If they lost, it would have been they're out on the piss, that's why they lost. So this sort of public perception is people will change their thinking to adapt to what makes teams to what they think makes teams good and they'll completely disagree with themselves, you know. Later on, that's
2: what I was going to say. If Essendon, if the same thing happened at Essendon when they're about to run out, Sam Draper passes the vote to I don't know, uh, Merit or whatever. It'd be that's why they're shit. They're, they're not taking yeah. it seriously, wouldn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. If you remember
1: uh, uh, Lions in '98, where well, like they came last, Brisbane Lions, yeah. yeah. And and you know, people in the commentary are probably saying, I just don't think there's none of these boys should be playing in the AFL. You know, <laughs> they're not. they're no first graders in this team. 21 of them went back to back to back, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And then at the end of that, they're saying, you know, these players shall forever, re, forever be remembered as some of the greatest players in the history of the AFL. I was like, this is the same player yes. that you were saying was terrible four to five years <laughs> ago. And how often do we see that? That sometimes a player will be poor at one stage and then, and then great another, but we all forget, we forget how bad those guys were.
2: Early on, I, I remember it because it was my second. Uh, it was round two. It was my fiftieth birthday. <laughs> I went down with a group of mates to watch Melbourne play Geelong. We were beaten by eighty points, two thousand nineteen. Yep. Twelve of those players then played in the premiership two years later. Yep. A- at the time, there were a couple of new guys, uh, May and Lever, and yeah, you know, that type of cohesion. Then they got it two years later. They, it, they didn't it, get any better as footballers. It, it doesn't. It doesn't take a lot
1: to throw teams off. Yeah. You, you can actually make four changes to a to an eighteen and and. The mathematics of it actually means it actually changes like 50% of the team. So, so a small amount of changes can actually have a dramatic
2: difference because a lot of relationships get changed even though a small amount of people come in. So, in fi- finally, uh, Dane's got a thing called math science, which is unique because it involves no maths and no science. Yeah. It involves the punt. <laughs> Your best punters be what? Leicester? Uh, I didn't bet on Leicester, let's just get that clear. Okay. But, but um, 500
1: to uh, 1.
0: Were they, 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 were they, 5, 50, they were uh, 5,000 to 1. Yep. But
1: what I would say is that there were signals, there's signals in the data. We didn't measure that till after it took place. Yep. But one, a lot of the senior clubs were reloading. And it was kind of interesting because everyone thinks it's Ranieri. Yep. It was actually a bit of a coup amongst the senior players against Ranieri. It's like, stop chopping and changing the team. So they, based, the senior players basically took over for the back half of the, for the last like 32 games and basically just picked themselves for the last 30 games <laughs> and no team's ever been that stable since 92 Blackburn and they just somehow jagged it and won the comp but what happened was their, their goals allowed went from 2.2 to 0.4 as they built up more and more okay. and they just defended, defended, defended even the goals scored went down but they somehow, the, the more you have understanding, the better you defend. You so a Richmond's
2: like a buy touch. or a sell? <laughs> give putting given they've put paid a fortune for Hopper and who's the Torano, uh, is it? Hopper and Torano from GWS who will both be in the middle next year. It's it's the th- first thing I'd say is what is everyone else doing? Yeah, right. So so if
1: everyone else trades more, Richmond should be favourites, right? Right. right. They right. won't. But, but Richmond, as we would put it, they're reloading. Yeah, you know they they they've got some senior guys, and they've got guys coming in and that's the hardest period to deal with like Hawthorne have just gone through that where you've got the sort of oldest senior guys and the younger guys coming in it's very hard to build cohesion over that period of time it's sort of like but you what you don't want to do is the bottom out sort of process which is let's just go with a bunch of kids because if you then have a bunch of kids that haven't played together you don't have very good reserve grade then what happens you just get annihilated and no one wants to come to you.
2: Which is, again, we said it, and we said it at the start of the year, we're not being smart asses afterwards, with Collingwood, we knew that they had a bunch of really good players. So they, they underperformed last year, but they started playing together and then minimal changes. So what we're saying is in trade time, if you can have a punt, <laughs> look, at, look at sides that actually uh, trade the least almost. Yeah, so, so when, when there's no change to a
1: team, we get really excited. Yeah. If they don't bring anyone in, whereas right. the market goes completely the other
3: right. way, which is like
1: oh, look at this talent, look what they're
3: yeah. bringing in. So the early on, the first five or six weeks, you take the sides that have stayed together mm-hmm. and then by the end of the year, maybe the sides have brought a couple in of... They back end. The heat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And,
1: and so it's really then about the stability inside of the season. Yeah, yep. You can build it that way. But there's there's lots of different ways to skin the cat. Geelong have done it a certain way. Richmond have done it a certain way. But if you don't have a high level of understanding between the players, you fundamentally can't
2: win. Good stuff. Uh, if people want to dig deeper in you, is a gain line... Gainline, analytics, Gainline
1: or analytics, gainline.biz. You can fill us on Twitter, yep. um, LinkedIn.
2: Good stuff. Yad Appreciate Yad it there. coming in. Thanks, Thanks
0: Frank. And Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more.